Oh, thanks, Darren, for that introduction. And it's a joy to be with you here at Everyday Church uh, Online. I love my time that I get to spend with you. Wherever you are in the world, uh, it's a joy to be able to record this sermon from Wimbledon, but reaches you wherever you are. Uh, and welcome to the last, uh, but possibly hardest talk of our 3D Jesus series. Um, this series, 3D Jesus, we've been exploring who the real Jesus is. And we've looked at some wonderful characteristics of Jesus together over these last few weeks. We've looked at how he uh, matured and grew in God, how humble he was, how he was empowered and devoted, how he was focused and connected, how he was emotional, supreme, peachy, unstoppable, forgiving, and unhurried. And today we're looking at the theme that Jesus was and is divisive. Uh, the key passage that we're looking at today is Luke 12. And there's a key verse in this um, chapter towards the end which says this. Jesus is talking to his disciples and to a crowd that's gathered around them. And he says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. There is a stark choice that I will place before us today that I think Jesus brings to us through these verses and this passage. And it is, who do we choose to follow? Will you follow the real 3D Jesus? At this verse, as I say, is within the context of chapter 12, and Jesus builds an argument through that chapter. And that our focus is, our focus changes how we live. That's the challenge that he will bring to us, that our focus changes how we live, and he presents to us a stark choice. Uh, let me show you the context of Jesus' teaching before we get into the uh, meat of it. So um, let me read from uh, Luke 12 and start at verse 1. Uh, this is going to be a sermon where you need your Bibles open in front of you. We're going to be looking through this whole chapter. While I'll, I'll read uh, a lot of the verses, I won't be able to read all of them. So have your Bible open in front of you. Uh, this is then uh, verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So uh, picture the scene. Jesus is here teaching to his uh, group of 12 disciples who are gathered around him. But there's a large crowd that's gathered around them, so much so that Luke is saying here that they're trampling one over one another to be able to hear uh, what is being uh, said. Uh, Jesus uh, starts by warning us to be on our guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. Uh, yeast is um, a substance that you put in bread when you bake it, and it works its way through the whole loaf. Jesus here is warning us against the bad teaching of the Pharisees, which can so easily spread. Here in verse 1, he calls it hypocrisy. He is calling back to the end of chapter 11, where he lists six woes that he addresses to the Pharisees. Uh, summarizing them, he's basically saying that the Pharisees look clean on the outside, but they are full of greed and wickedness on the outside. That's their hypocrisy. They're presenting something to the world that's not true of the inward reality of their hearts. And what follows from this warning, Jesus presents to us a series of really hard teachings but then also a series of real comforting teachings. And we're going to explore these pairs that Jesus uh, goes uh, through over the rest of the chapter. Uh, I'll read through the first couple together, but then we'll speed up as we get towards the end of the chapter as the examples uh, get longer. 
Uh, but the first pairing that we see is in verses 2 and 5, and then verses 6 and 7. Uh, have a look down in uh, your Bibles at them, but I'll also put the words here on the screen. Let me read through this uh, first um, pairing. Or at least let me read through the first half of this first pairing. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark uh, will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after can do no more, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This is the hard part of this pairing and the hard part of Jesus' teaching. He is putting a choice before us, or at least a question at this stage. Will you fear God? Now, the phrase fear the Lord is one that we find all the way through uh, Scripture. Uh, when used uh, throughout the Bible, it, it's, it's basically saying that we need to learn to revere God. We need to learn to honor and respect Him that we recognize and trust and obey and worship him for who he is. It means humility on our part, recognizing that God is God and that we are not, that we stand in awe of his holiness, his sovereignty, his power, and his wisdom. It means a healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil, learning his boundary lines and not crossing them. Uh, true, true wisdom, then, is that we recognize who we are when we compare ourselves to God Almighty. Uh, that's what the Bible means when it talks about fearing the Lord. But in these verses, Jesus gives us very specific and very good reasons uh, to fear God. He gives us two specific reasons. The first is verses 4 and 5, where he talks about fearing God because he can throw you into hell. Now, this is a tremendously hard teaching for any of us to hear. Indeed, I think it lists alongside the hardest teachings that we have to confront as Christians. The reality is that there is a place called hell and that God himself will throw people into hell to suffer under his internal punishment for the sins that they have committed. Now, when we think about hell, it's very easy for us to confuse or be confused over what it actually is. I know in my context uh, here in England, but I'm sure uh, you have it where you are as well, or you'll be able to recognize this, uh, that there is a confusion over what hell is, i.e. who is in control of hell. I think medieval art has a lot to, um, uh, can be blamed for this in many ways. Uh, I've picked a, a picture here which is typical of a scene that was painted in the Middle Ages to depict what they thought hell was about. Now, if you look carefully at this image, you'll see many scenes of torture. And this torture is done at the hands of uh, Satan's demons who are tormenting people, but chiefly also done by Satan himself. He seems to be in charge of this place called hell, and he is inflicting upon others what he wants to do, the evil that he wants to uh, perpetrate. But that is not what the Bible describes as hell. Hell is not a place where Satan reigns. No. Hell is a place where Satan and all evil will be rightly and justly judged 
by our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, This image that I display here is not what the Bible talks about, or at least not what the Bible discusses and shows when it talks about hell. Hell is not a place where Satan will have his way. No, hell is a place where Satan will be rightly judged and all evil alongside him. Now this shouldn't surprise us that there is a place where darkness and evil needs to be placed because God is holy and pure and since the beginning of creation he is always divided between the two. Uh, We know right from the start of uh, creation that God divides between light and dark. Uh, This is a quote from uh, a theologian named A.W. Tozer. He says, the first divider was God who at the creation divided light from darkness. The division set the direction for all of God's dealings in nature and grace. Light and darkness are incompatible. And so it shouldn't surprise us because God is holy and pure that there is a place where sin will be rightly judged because it is evil and unpure and dark. This is then the first reason that Jesus gives us to fear God. Because if we don't fear God, if we don't follow Him, then God says hell awaits us. Eternal conscious judgment awaits us. And this should scare us. This should be a source of fear. So that's the first reason Jesus gives. He also gives a second reason in verses 2 and 3. Have a look at them again on uh, on the screen here. Verses 2 and 3 talk about God saying that he sees right into our hearts, that there are no secrets before him. Things that we may have thought were said in dark places where no one else would hear. No, God sees them. There's no secrets before him. He knows the full details of our depraved and idolatrous hearts. This is a hard teaching. And it's hard because there is a division that comes between those who fear God and those who don't. For those who don't, hell awaits, an eternal conscious judgment. But for those that do, there is comfort. And this is what Jesus goes on to say. And I find it so interesting that he pairs these two things together, both really hard teachings, but then straightaway comfort for those people that do fear him. And so this is the comfort that we read of in verses 6 and 7. So straight after these verses about God being able to throw us into hell, we read, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, for you are worth more than many sparrows. What interesting details Jesus draws out in this comforting teaching that God knows us. He says the very hairs on our heads are numbered. What an intimate level of detail that he knows. He also talks about sparrows here, that we are worth more than many sparrows. Interestingly, he points to a man's value that he's placed on sparrows, i.e., when Jesus says here, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? But he also talks about God's value. Not one of them is forgotten by God. And in these verses, Jesus tells us that we are worth more than these sparrows. These sparrows who aren't forgotten by God, but he cares and knows after each and every one of them. Jesus tells us in these verses, God cares for us more than these sparrows. This is a comforting thought because this is the God into whom hands we are placing ourselves. And so this is the choice that's before us. 
fear God and it changes your eternal destiny. If you don't fear God, eternal conscious judgment in hell awaits you. This is the choice that's before us. Will you place your trust and your hope, your life, into the hands of a God who says, I love you. Into the hands of a God who says, I know you and I care for you and I cherish you. Or will you not fear God and risk the very fires of hell? Now, as Jesus goes on to show us, fearing God doesn't just make a difference to our eternal destiny, but actually it also makes a difference to how we live now. And this is what Jesus goes on to explore in his different pairings. He, he talks about the difference that acknowledging and fearing God will make in a number of different arenas. Uh, let's read uh, the first of these pairings. Uh, it's verses uh, 8 to 12. Uh, let me read them uh, for you. Uh, I split, uh, you can see on the screen here, already between the hard teaching and the comforting teaching. We'll read both of them together. So starting at verse 8. I tell you, Whoever public acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. C can you see this pairing? The hard teaching and the comfort that lies right alongside it. Uh, let's start with this um, hard teaching. Now the hard teachings here that Jesus is talking about is saying if we disown God, he will disown us. That's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing to know. He's talking about here, if we, before those that would challenge us about our faith in God, if we would disown God, then there seems to be a challenge here that God himself will disown us before the angels. Now again, remember, this is all tied into who are we fearing. Jesus has already warned us, don't just fear those that can kill your body. Fear the one that can, after killing your body, throw also your soul into hell. And so this is then the, the, the hard teaching. Actually, do we want to disown God and risk that? If we don't fear God, we will actually say before man whatever they want to hear to please them. If we don't fear God, if we don't rightly acknowledge who he is, then we disown him before others. And our lives and our words don't speak towards the all-powerful, all-knowing God who loves and treasures us. Uh, let me give a word of explanation about this uh, particularly hard teaching at the end of uh, this, uh, these few verses, in this hard teaching in verse 10, where it talks about anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now the phrase here, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, means and describes someone who consistently and persistently denies the truth about God even when it's been revealed to them. What's described here is a persistent refusal to accept the grace of God. So the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals Christ to us in our hearts. 
And this verse is saying in that moment, as Christ is revealed, you reject God's grace. I think this is uh, calling back to the warning of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees in verse 1. Because it's talking about that this sin is unforgivable because it does not allow us to receive the grace that God wants to teach and give to us and place in our hearts, just like the Pharisees, that they're hard-hearted against the grace of God. Now, in thinking about disowning Christ, it's important that we get it right to what this is describing. And a good example of this is thinking about Peter and Judas, both two men who betrayed Jesus. And it's easy when we read about, uh, in these verses, disowning God, we can think of Peter before, um, uh, before the Sanhedrin and before those outside during Jesus' trial, when he denies Jesus three times. We can think that's a classic example of this. But actually, what these verses are describing are not necessarily that characteristic of Peter, but of Judas. Judas was a man who traveled with Jesus, who knew his teaching, but rejected it and handed Jesus over for his trial, his torture, and his execution. Uh, Judas is an example of a man who consistently hardened his heart against the teaching of the grace of God. And his story is a stark warning to us. A stark warning that the man who is determined to get to hell will certainly get there. His story is a warning to us that we should not refuse God. Now, if you're worried that you are committing this sin of blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, it's, it's not too late for you. If you worried you've committed it, you most likely haven't, because what God is looking for is repentance. And this is the comfort that we find in these verses, and actually the comfort that we find in Peter's example. In Peter's example, yes, he disowned Jesus in the moment, but actually if we read on in Acts, we read of his repentance and his change of heart, that only a few weeks, days later at Pentecost, he is boldly standing before that crowd, proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the one that stands up and points to the crowd, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. There is a renewed boldness, and in this way, Peter is this living example of what we see in verses 11 and 12. That when we do come before those that would seek to persecute us, the Holy Spirit themselves, uh, himself will give us the words to say and give us the words that we need to say. This is a great comfort to us. And in this way, Jesus is answering the objection that we get from this hard teaching, isn't it? If I'm not to disown Jesus, well, what on earth would I say? Jesus comforts us by saying the Holy Spirit himself is with you and will give you the right words to say. Now, at this point in reading the passage, you'll see in verse 13 that there's an interjection uh, from the crowd. Someone in the crowd lobs in this thought, Teacher, tell my brother to defy, uh, divide the inheritance with me. Interestingly, this theme of division is right here in our passage again. Jesus responds to this interjection 
with a parable in which he explains the futility of greed in light of eternity. Uh, let me read uh, these, passage, uh, these verses to you, starting from verse 16. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tell down my barns and build uh, bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Uh, this parable that Jesus teaches to the crowd is a strong and clear rebuke about a wrong focus we can have on earthly possessions. Now, wherever we are in the world, wherever you are in the world watching this, I believe this will be a challenge for you. The rich fool here describes something, uh, describes a trap that we can all fall into, that we want to hoard for ourselves possessions. We want to keep for ourselves more than actually we need because we want to be comfortable and we want to have. We want to have and own an abundance. But in that owning of abundance, we do not give to God. We are not generous with others. That it's so easy to focus on ourselves and on our own needs and on not being generous. This is a stark warning to us because we can be like this rich fool too. We can hold on to all this stuff, but Jesus' warning is clear. We never know when the end might be. We might think, oh, I'm going to enjoy all this stuff and I'll be generous towards God later. I'll be rich towards God later. The, the stark warning here is that we will never know when our life is demanded of us. Uh, see, I've highlighted the verses here. Um, to this rich fool, it said, this very night your life will be demanded of you. We don't know the hours of our death either. It might be for you that this very night, might be for me this very night, that God demands my life of me. Jesus' point here is clear. Judgment awaits this man who chose to hoard for himself rather than fear for God. And his judgment will be rightly deserved. He chose not to fear God, but hunger after things for himself. Well, how should we do it then? How should we live? What comfort is there? Well, this is what goes, Jesus goes on to describe in the following verses. And unfortunately, I don't have time to read through all of them, but I will share some selected highlights. Jesus teaches us, rather than hoarding things for ourselves, rather we shouldn't need to worry about uh, we shouldn't worry about needing to hoard for ourselves. Rather, it's God himself will provide for us. Jesus does this in a number of, of ways. Three verses that are highlight to us. Firstly, verse 23, where Jesus reminds us that this life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Our, our lives are more than just the material things that we see around us. There is a rich depth to life which in which goes to not only the spiritual stuff, but, but also the immaterial things that we can enjoy amongst ourselves. 
Jesus, is, uh, Jesus uses the example for these and how God provides. In both looking to the ravens, saying the birds of the air, look how God provides for them. He points to the wildflowers. He says, look how God provides for them as well. In verse 26, he reminds us and gives us a right perspective on who God is and who we are. I love this verse. He says, look, since you yourself cannot do this very little thing, that very little thing he's talking about is adding an hour to our lives. Because we can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? He's reminding ourselves of our own mortality and limitedness and saying because of that, don't worry about it. You can't add to it. It's in God's hands, so do not worry. And we can not worry because it's in God's hands, because he is the one that cares for us. Look at these beautiful words in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. What tender language Jesus uses here to describe God's relationship with us, that we are a little flock, that he cares for us, that he tends to our needs, that he looks after us and protects us. But also that God himself is pleased to give us the kingdom. That God himself will be generous towards us if we don't hoard up things for ourselves. Now, if we're generous with the things of this life, God is generous with the things that he has towards us as well. I think a wonderful summary of this type of teaching, i.e. what we should treasure in this life, is summed up by uh, an excellent uh, writer uh, named C.S. Lewis. He says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Fearing God puts things in their right perspective and it changes the way that we view our possessions around us we see them for what they are temporary things to be used to honor God and to serve others not to be hoarded for ourselves now at last time is against us as we come to this uh, final uh, pairing before we get to the choice that Jesus offers us at the end so let me just uh, uh, summarize this very quickly uh, Jesus, in, these, uh, final, um, in this final pairing, offers us a warning about being watchful of his return. This is from uh, verses um, 35 all the way through to um, 48. And Jesus basically warns us to be watchful of his return. Because if we're not watchful of his return, means actually we're not fearing God himself. We haven't understood his teaching that he would uh, come back. We've lost a sense of focus on the eternal reality uh, that's beyond. And actually he warns of punishment again for those that don't fear God. This is here teaching. Um, do read it in your own time. But alongside this harsh teaching and this hard teaching of judgment for those that don't fear God, there's some amazing comfort at the same time as well. Let me draw out uh, these two verses. It's verse 37 and verse 44. In the English translation that I'll put up here, you'll see how both of these verses start with, truly I tell you, and what a picture it builds of who God is. Truly I tell you, in verse 37, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. 
This is the moment where Jesus returns and what it said here is the master returns and he serves those who have faithfully waited for him. Verse 44 says, Truly I tell you, he will put them in charge of all of his possessions. I.e. there's an inheritance as well for those who have faithfully waited for God. Uh, There is a stark choice presented to us again. Don't fear God and right judgment awaits you. Fear God and God himself comes to serve you. God himself shares what he has with you. And so this is the choice that Jesus has been building all the way through this passage with eternity in mind and looking at these uh, examples of how we should behave before others when they challenge us. How we should view our material possessions, Jesus presents us with a choice. And he puts it starkly before us in verses 49 to 53. Let me read these as I close and bring this challenge to you. This is the challenge that Jesus gives to us. He says these come to bring judgment when he says these words in verse 49. I've come to bring fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. This is the choice that's presented before each and every one of us. And for us as individuals to make as those verses in 22 and, um, sorry, 52 and 53 show us, will we fear God or will we not? Will we fear God and know him and share in all that he has or will we not fear him and face judgment instead this is a hard choice for us to make but in the middle of this warning about judgment there is a reminder of God's grace this wonderful verse 50 where Jesus says I have a baptism to undergo Remember, at this stage in Luke's gospel, the whole narrative, Luke is pointing us of G- towards Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and to his death on the cross that waits him there. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die for us, to give up his life, that we would know his grace and his love. So this is the choice that's before us. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow the true 3D Jesus that doesn't uh, bubble wrap things or uh, provide us with um, uh, soft teachings only? No, he goes to the heart of the matter where he says there is a judgment for those that won't fear me and won't recognize me and my grace. But for those that do, for those that fear me, for those that recognize who God is and who we are, those that recognize God's great love for us, primarily demonstrated to us, not only through the life, but also the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. To those guys is given all things. That's the choice that's before us. Don't choose God, you're choosing judgment. Choose God and you get Jesus and all that's in him. That's the choice that I place before you. Will you follow the true 3D Jesus? And that's my sole application for you today. What's your choice? Do you commit your life again to following God in his fullness? And this is also a challenge then that we are to bring before other people. It's a challenge that we have to answer for ourselves, but this is a judgment that everyone awaits as well, all those that are uh, alive today. There is a judgment that awaits us, a judgment for those that don't fear God. 
So will you tell others about him? Will you tell others not only of the judgment that awaits them if they don't fear God, but the joy that awaits them if they do fear God? Let me encourage you today, wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, put your trust in Jesus. He is the one that loves you. Put your trust in your loving Heavenly Father who wants to care for you like one of the sheep in his flock. Put your trust in him. Fear him. Fear God today. Uh, Let me pray for us as we wrestle with this choice. Father, we thank you for these hard teachings that you present to us. Thank you that you don't hide from us the reality of things, but you present present them to us clearly that we can make a choice. Father, help us today to choose to follow you, to fear you, to put our trust in you. And Father, we ask that you would provide us opportunities to speak to those that don't yet know you, that we would encourage them to put their trust in God as well. And Father, I praise for those that are listening to this message who have not yet trusted in God. And I ask, Father, in this moment, reveal yourself to them, that they would know your hope and your peace, your comfort, that they would choose to fear you too. And so not only to avoid the eternal judgment of hell, but to know you, to be loved by you and to love you as well. Father, all things these pray, uh, all these things we pray for your glory, our good, and in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us uh, today.